Now, a moment of true confession. I often don't know what to do with Christmas because I've done Christmas every year for over 20 years. And you think, well, there's only so much scripture you can do with Christmas, you know. And I have even stretched the boundaries sometime and gone into places where it's not Christmas, but I've done it anyway. I don't know if that's cheating. But this year I was thinking, what do I do? And especially because it comes at the end of a trip. Like we came home Thursday and I got to teach on Sunday. So not only do I have to do Christmas, but I've got to do it quickly. And I think, okay. And then I prayed for help. And I had this in the back of my mind, Micah 5. And I know the scripture and so do you. In fact, we even read it this morning as we started. And I guess I said to God, I don't want to do it. And then he said, you've never done this. And I think I said something like, yes, I know. That's why I don't want to do it. <laughs> and try as I might, I could not get away from this. And so at a certain point, I gave in. I said, okay, help me. And he helped me. And when I saw what was happening in Micah, it blew my mind. And I thought, how important Christmas is. How important Christmas is. Now, if you think something is not important, you're not going to hang on to it. You're not going to care what happens to it. You're going to lose it. Now, wouldn't that be tragic if what you thought was unimportant and didn't matter turned out to be amazingly valuable? Stuff like that happens, you know. Somebody sells an old guitar that was under the bed since high school, and it turns out to be some crazy guitar that's worth hundreds of thousands of pounds. I've followed stuff like that. Unbelievable. Person didn't know what it was. Turns out to be pure unobtainium. Ordinary mortals don't even get to look at stuff like this. And they didn't even know what it was. What? How much was that? Well, one thing you don't want to lose is Christmas. Because it's valuable. Because it is a crucial point in history when all of God's promises change from future, potential, to happening right now. 
so Christmas is the hinge of history. Now that's a dramatic title. I thought it up myself. I say the word hinge because it allows things to go two ways. It could go this way and you get a bunch of results or it goes that way and a whole nother thing happens. It reminds me of the time when they made a movie or a TV series or some kind of thing about what would happen if Germany had won World War II. And they spent some time thinking about how creepy and weird and what the world would be like, completely different, if it had hinged the other way. All right? So this is the most amazing hinge outcome that there is, all right? So what I have to do now is give you a quick context for Micah 5. And we're not gonna read everything, but Micah is about a message from God to the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. The capital of Israel was Samaria. The capital of Judah, Jerusalem. And in the first three chapters of Micah, when you read it, you will see God accusing Israel and Judah of sin and saying, I am going to judge you for your sins. So, in the first chapter, in verse 6, God says, Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the field, places for planting a vineyard. I will pour down her stones into the valley, and I will uncover her foundations. Can you imagine? A capital city being reduced to rubble. But three chapters later, God says this is going to happen to Jerusalem. So in chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed like a field. Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins. And the mountain of the temple, like the bare hills of the forest, Capital cities are going to be leveled. All the businesses destroyed. All the way of life destroyed. Desolation. Now, when you think about that, in the light of all this opposition from God, you get to chapter 4, and the situation is completely different. Look what it says in just chapter 4, verse 1. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains 
and shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. What? What God is going to destroy and make like nothing, all of a sudden it's going to be the tallest mountain in the world with the temple on top, and everybody's going to say, I'm going there. You want to come with me? Oh, yeah. It's going to be a completely different situation. All the world is going to come and say, how do I follow you? Show me how to do this. And if you go further, that the Lord is going to reign over all the earth. Nobody is going to make war anymore. Take their swords and turn them into pruning hooks. And farm and have a great peaceful life. God is going to use Israel to pulverize many peoples and devote their unjust gain to the Lord. Israel's going to have dominion politically over the entire world. But then at the end of chapter 4, now it's not right. At the present time, it's not right. And you look in in verse 9, there's tension. Why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in your midst? Has your counselor perished? For pangs have seized you like a woman in labor. Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in birth pangs. For now you shall go forth from the city. You shall dwell in the field. And to Babylon you shall go. There you shall be delivered. For the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now what he's talking about there is deportation. A 70-year exile where Israel is going to be scattered, oppressed. This is the present. It's not warm and cheery. There's no sense of, wow, God is doing incredible things. We're back in the present. The present is not nice. It's punishment, judgment. So there's the future. Here's the now. How in the world is God going to take the mess that's happening right now and bring it to that point where everything is fabulous? There's a huge disconnect here. Do you see that? This is the context for chapter 5. And I'm going to read a couple of verses here. Now gather yourself in troops, O daughter of troops. He has laid siege against us. They will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, 
whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Okay, God is speaking to an insignificant place. You would not go there on your holiday. And if you ever went there, you would never take a picture of it to show anybody. Look, here's a flock of sheep. And over there, there's a person. There are more sheep than people in this place. Nobody would go, wow, really? It's a nothing place. In fact, there's a superlative happening here. And usually a superlative is like good, better, and the superlative is best. But this one's opposite. Small, littler, the least. It is a nothing, nowhere place. Always has been. So it's not anything that this world considers to be anything. Places have their thing, you know. This is what we do. So if you go to Amsterdam, you're going to find a lot of cheese. Huge cheese the size of Formula One tires. That's what they do there. You go to London, you're going to find a lot of dough. That's what London does. Everybody's got their thing that they do. It's economy, it's manufacturing, it's this is the capital, we have power here, whatever. But you go to Bethlehem and it's like, it's not even a McDonald's there. Okay, it is nowheresville. And God says, from you, you little insignificant nothing, one from me will go forth and he will do all my will. He will represent me. He will rule in Israel with the authority and the power of God. Now this one, who will represent God, is himself God. Now that is an amazing statement. If you hear Moses who says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one God. But here is God speaking of another person who is God. Now this word, goings forth, whose goings forth are of old, that word refers to origin. Where does a person come from? And it says there, his goings forth are from of old, ancient. Now we, nowadays, consider ancient to be anything from the dawn of civilization up to about 
the sack of Rome in the 5th century. Because right then, it, the things change and become medieval times. Up until about 1400s, 1500s, something like that. So we look back and we call that stuff ancient. This is ancient. This whole Bible is ancient. Did you know the Quran is medieval? It's the Middle Ages. This is ancient. But this is ancient when Micah is writing it. He's talking about so far back. That is that person who's going to come out of Bethlehem. But then it gets heavier. His goings forth are from everlasting. That means before there is anything. Before anything was, he is. Now the only person this can be is God. And God himself refers to that person as another person. Distinct from himself and yet eternal even as God. So this one, coming out of Bethlehem, is well able to represent God because he is God. He's going to do a good job. And the turning point with Israel comes when this one from God is born as a baby. Look what it says in verse 3. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. For now he shall be great, to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land, and when he treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princely men. They shall waste with the sword the land of Assyria, and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. Thus he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land, and when he treads within our borders. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass that tarry for no men, nor wait for the sons of men. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among flocks of sheep, who if he passes through, both treads down and tears in pieces, and none can deliver. Your hand shall be lifted against your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that I will cut off from your horses, from your midst, and destroy your chariots. I will cut off the cities of your land, and throw down all your strongholds. 
I will cut off sorceries from your hand, and you shall have no soothsayers. Your carved images I will also cut off, and your sacred pillars from your midst. You shall no more worship the work of your hands. I will pluck your wooden images from your midst. Thus I will destroy your cities, and I will execute vengeance in anger and fury on the nations that have not heard. So, Verse 3 is really interesting because it says God is going to give up his people until the time that she who was in labor has given birth. Then God acts. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. Okay, so... God says, I'm going to let my people go. And that means I'm going to abandon them. I'm going to let them do their own thing. They're bent on doing that. That's why there's going to be judgment. But that's only for a time. There's a beginning to that time. There's an end to that time. And the end of it is when she who is in labor has given birth. Then when that child is born, God acts. Do you see that? And then it becomes like chapter four. All those good things that God has promised become reality. The remainder of his brethren return to the sons of Israel. That is, all Israel will be gathered together from where they've been scattered. And that one is going to rise and shepherd the flock in the strength of the Lord. He's going to have the power of God. He's going to have the majesty of God. He's going to have the name of God, which is the name above all names. And then you notice that those brethren that come back, they shall abide. They're not going to go wandering again. They're not going to get scattered again because of sin. They will stay. They will be God's people forever. And this great shepherd is going to keep the brethren. He's going to be great to the ends of the earth. That is the entire world is going to obey him. And he says, this one shall be peace. This one is our wholeness. He is our satisfaction. He is our harmony. He is our joy and our peace. And only God can satisfy our hearts. Only God can make peace. And then when the Assyrian comes into our land, okay, Assyria is the archetypical band of outlaws that just go around and plunder and take whatever they want, rape and kill. And it's a lot more fun than farming. So let's go out there and waste a civilization and take everything they got 
And when they come out against Israel, it says there in verse five, we'll raise against him seven shepherds and eight princely men. Now, seven being the number of completeness, eight the number of more than complete. In chapter four, there was no king in the midst. There's no counselor. We don't know what to do. Now we've got an abundance. Now we got shepherds, princely men who will waste with the sword the land of Assyria. In other words, you try anything funny, we will shatter your nation. That's pretty cool. And the remnant of Israel is going to be on the one hand like dew and showers that cause the grass to grow. Everything's going to be great. But if anybody steps out of line, they will be like a lion that just walks around and tears anything that gets in their way. This is the destiny of the nation of Israel for God. He's going to make them the top nation in the world. This is the fulfillment of everything that God spoke to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Everything is going to be fulfilled here. And we also notice that there's a gap in what God is going to do. Because you read this stuff, you say, okay, the baby has been born. We know this. Those wise men showed up in Jerusalem. They say, he's been born. Where has he been born? And they get the priest together, and they say, yeah, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. That's what it says. And these wise men say, thank you. And they go and they find him. This is documented history. It's happened. But then, the rest of chapter 5 hasn't happened yet. You noticed that, right? Israel is not fulfilling its national destiny. Assyria is still out there trampling. I mean, Assyria right now is about where Iran, modern-day Iran is. And Iran is one of the major oppressors and exporters of terror to the world. Their drones are now working for Russia in Ukraine. They're still doing what they're doing here, trampling, barging into other people's lands. So, hmm, what do we make of this? And the answer is, there is a gap in this prophecy, like many prophecies in the Old Testament. That is, you read them, and there's, they read real straight and clean, you know, this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens. But, we know this happened, and all this stuff hasn't happened yet. This is the case in Daniel chapter 9. Messiah is prophesied, the exact date. 
when he comes. And then everything that happens after that hasn't happened yet. And we go, hmm, what do we do with this? Now, history shows that Jesus was born. And he grew up. And he was rejected by Israel. He suffered for the sin of the world on the cross. And God raised him from the dead, according to the scriptures. Now, when he was raised from the dead, he taught his disciples for 40 days. And right at the last day, when he was going to ascend into heaven, they say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the dominion to Israel? Because they're thinking of this. This is the next thing. And you remember what Jesus says. It's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has placed in his own authority. Is it now? I'm not telling you. <laughs> and that's it. He says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So, there's one reason for the delay. And that is, God is merciful. In 2 Peter 3, verse 9, Peter says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And you know, if God had gone right ahead and given dominion to Israel, you and I would not be sitting here looking at Micah. We wouldn't even exist. So God is having mercy that we would be born, that we would hear about Jesus, that we would be saved. For myself, I'm pretty happy about that. I'm glad God waited. I can see the wisdom of that. I can wait a little longer. He knows what he's doing. I bet you there's lots of stuff he hasn't told us because we wouldn't understand it. And I'm good with that. He's the boss. But what do we do with Christmas? See? What we want to do with it is we want to value Christmas greatly. Because this is the most important thing that God is doing. He came into the world. He fulfilled his promise. This is big stuff. Do you know that the Judeo-Christian revelation is the only religion of the entire world that has prophecy in it? Nobody else says this and this and this and this is going to happen. 
anyone that tries it has to cover up the fact that it didn't happen. This is what separates God from every else that wants to be called God. He knows the end from the beginning and he writes it down. And it's a paper trail. You can check it out. Did it happen? And see this, this happened. And so it is really the fulfillment that says everything else that God says is going to happen. It's not a guess, it's not if, it's when. Because he did this. So, this is the turning point in history, right here. Up until this point, you could say, well, they're great promises. But when are they gonna happen? And see, if nothing was happening, you could say, well, somebody made this up. It's not gonna happen. But here we have a significant fulfillment that changes everything. Because the promise is great, but the fulfillment is greater. You need hope to live. You need to know that good is coming in the future. But the fulfillment of that hope, says the Bible, is life from the dead. That's what God is doing. Now, you notice that there is no commercialism in the book of Micah. There's no tinsel. There's no red-nosed reindeer. There's no Father Christmas. None of that junk. You know why? That's not Christmas. And we, okay, so that is the issue, is the world celebrates Christmas wrongly, but Christmas is from God, and it is good news for all men, because God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. And this is the greatest promise. We know he's going to keep all of his promises, every single one of them, in his time. Now, we long for that day. And sometimes we think, gee, is it ever going to happen? But Christmas is when we reorient and come back to this. It has to happen because he did this. That is the guarantee that everything that he wrote is gonna happen. So here's how you celebrate Christmas the right way. And that is you open your heart to him. And you say, come into my heart. That's how you really celebrate Christmas. 
because there's one more small place that he wants to come to. And if he came to Bethlehem, which is the king of nowhere, then you know he will come to your heart. Will he come and bless even me? I'm not a brand name. Yes, he will. You know that is true because he was humble enough to come to Bethlehem. He will come to your heart. And so you ask him in. And I'm even talking to believers. You ask him in, in greater measure, in fullness, and he'll do it. Now what he gives right now is a fabulous gift. He gives right now, and that is peace. That's what Christmas is supposed to be. That's what people make a lot of fun of. Oh, it's Christmas. Well, it's not peaceful, because we get together and we fight. And I didn't get what I want for Christmas. And so it's not peaceful. There's a lot of traffic. I don't like the shops. And England is 46% Christian. We're not a Christian nation anymore. Let's throw it out. You're going to hear stuff like that. But we say no. We're going to hang on to Christmas. Because, again, Jesus is the only God who gives peace. If anybody else wants to be known as God, let him give peace. Islam is a religion of peace. And all of its followers can hardly keep from killing one another. Well, if you look at the hot spots of the world, and I'm not going to knock anybody, but there's a lot of unrest in these territories, and I don't want to slam anybody. But here's what Jesus does. Jesus brings peace because he brings peace with God. When he takes away our sins, there's no more war. And then he says, you love everybody. Even love your enemies. And that is not written anywhere else. So, he gives peace. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Do I give to you? Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Really? Economic slowdown? Energy costs more? Rough winter coming? Sickness? Government? He says, you know, I've overcome the world. I have overcome the world. So you can have peace. The other thing we want to do is make Christmas big. We want to make much of Christmas. This is amazing. Again, God coming to be with us, 
There is nothing like it anywhere else. And so, this time of year gives us a built-in opportunity to talk about Jesus. His name is built into this season. And we get to say, our God came to be with us. Our God loves us so much that he gave his only son so that we wouldn't perish but have everlasting life and forgiveness. And you know, I'm, I'm not going to even mention Christmas trees. They're not found in the Bible. Did you know that only happened because Prince Albert came from Hanover? It's a German thing. That's how it became an English thing. Okay, but uh, we're not going to defend Christmas trees. We don't care about Christmas trees. Have a Christmas tree. Have two. It's not a big deal. But you know what? We're going to talk about Jesus. Let's use our opportunity while we can because the time is short. The time is short. God gave up his people. And it, there was a beginning. There is an end to that where God will turn again to his people and save Israel. It is fast approaching. And he will fulfill everything that's in Micah chapter 4 and everything that's in Micah chapter 5 and 6 and everything that is written. So here we have this season from now until Christmas. You get to wish everybody you know Merry Christmas and God bless you and God loves you. Did you know that? Just like that at Tesco, at where you shop and where you pay for your petrol and all that business. You can bless everybody all day long. Thank you and Merry Christmas. And I mean it. You're laughing. <laughs> but you know, we get to do this. Let's go for it, you know, because we still got time. Let's do it. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you love us. And we get to know that. And we pray that you would exalt Jesus. And you know, it's not to us that we want to give glory. We don't want to be arrogant. We're just thankful that you loved us and that you're saving us. And we're glad for that. We didn't do anything for this. We're not superior people. We are very thankful. So Lord, we pray that you would bless our Christmas this year. And we pray that you would be at home in our hearts. And we pray that you would help us to love everybody. And we also pray that in your time, you would come and make everything right. And we trust that you will do this. 
We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.